Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. Oh, what up? And shalom! Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Hegg, and with me, as always, my friend, my mentor, my teacher, Rob Vanhoff. What up, Rob? What up, Caleb? How's it going? I, it just always brings a smile to my face when I hear our awesome intro. <laughs> well, thanks. I made that. I, I put that all together myself. Well, hey, everyone listening, welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. This is uh, going to be an interesting one, for sure. And I say that because uh, we, I've been praying literally for the past three days for the Lord to give us a good topic, and uh, nothing has come to mind. So maybe we just shouldn't be doing the show this week. No, I'm playing. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a couple of different things. Actually, we have some. We, I want our audience to be looking forward because uh, next week is going to be a very very special week on the Robin Caleb yeah, show. Is. Yes, it is. We, uh, when I say we, now let's get a little specific. My father, Gary Springer, who's the Torah Resource Institute administrator. So if you've taken classes with us, you have surely ran into Gary at some point. Uh, and Ariel Berkowitz, one of the teachers for Torah Resource Institute, he hails from Israel. And that's where he's, he's uh, residing right now. He's flying into Tacoma, where... I live, and then we're all going to drive over to Spokane to the uh, well to the Spokane Valley where Rob Vanhoff is, and we are all going to be going to the UMJA conference. Now that's not to be confused with the UMJC. No, no, this is the UMJA conference, and UMJA stands for United Messianic Jewish Assembly. And they are one law. They hold the one law theology, as do we. And the keynote speaker, they're having a they're having a conference that goes from June eighteenth through the twenty second. And the keynote speaker is my father, Tim Hegg, also uh, Ariel Berkowitz, and then of course uh, our our uh, Rob Van Hoff will also be presenting at the UMJA conference. If you want to go to the UMJA conference, if you're listening to this and you're like, "Hey, man, that sounds like a lot of fun," it will be a lot of fun. Uh, you can meet all of us. You can meet some great people at the UMJA. We go every year. It's, it's a blast. We're not associated with the UMJA, but, uh, my father always speaks at the UMJA conferences and we have a great time. Uh, Ted Pierce, who is a very accomplished, uh, musician will be performing at the UMJA conference. And that'll be interesting because I don't know how many people that listen to our show, follow me on my personal blog, but I have put out, Ted Pierce did a piece on his Facebook called a, My Annual Grenade, and he he interacted with some theologies, two-house theology, and, and then also one-law theology, and he, I think he kind of was a little mistaken on some of the ways that he represented one-law theology, so I wrote a response paper to Mr. Pierce, um, but that doesn't matter. I think we're going to have a good time anyway. I'm actually looking forward to hearing him play some music. I've been trying to think of whether or not I can actually pack my cello into our car so I can bring my cello over 
uh, because maybe I'd be able to sit in with him for uh, for a second while he was dinking around, you know, before before he actually gets to to play in the show or whatever. But if you want to go to the UMJA conference, you can do so. You can find out more information by going to umja.net. That's .net, not .com. You can sign up there. And uh, come listen to Mr. Van Hoff present papers at the UMJA conference. It's going to be a blast. And you can meet the infamous Adam Smith, the guy that I'm always yes. talking about. He's going to be there. He's going to meet uh, Rob Van Hoff for the first time, which will be fun. Uh, I got to say, I'm really looking forward to meeting Adam. Oh man, yeah, he, he's <laughs> the more I, you know, I follow him now on Twitter, and uh, <laughs> as do you, and uh, he he's just a funny guy. He is he's a he's a fun guy to be around. So we're going to have a lot of fun. Come on out, hang out with us. It's going to be a blast. But the, all of this to say, all of this to say. The next week on the Rob and Caleb show, we're going to be in Spokane. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sit down with my father, with Ariel Berkowitz, with Gary Springer, with Rob Banhoff and myself. And we are all going to chat for the Rob and Caleb show. That's right. It's going to be one big cluster of Torah resource staff. So for one week, it's going to be the Rob, Caleb, Tim, Gary, and Ariel show. That's right. For one week only. And you know what we're going to talk about? Oh, man, this is going to be so good. So once Should again... we tell them or not? Oh, I, I, I'll tell you. I'll tell everybody what we're going to talk about. Because, you know, this has kind of been on my mind for the past, I don't know, week or so. There's been this person who will not reveal their actual name who has been bugging me to get into debate over amillennialism. There, uh, that means that you don't believe in a thousand-year reign of the Messiah. You believe the millennium is, well, there is no millennium. It's, it's already, basically Yeshua entered in uh, the, the prophecies of Zechariah and all that kind of stuff. It's all been done already. And so uh, I reject that view, of course. And uh, this person has been trying desperately to draw me into debate, which I have not succumbed to. But I decided, hey, let's, let's talk about some of these things when we got all the, all the experts together. So we're going to be talking about dispensationalism, amillennialism, and, well, I guess for lack of a better term, millennialism. Which well, is, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm going to learn a lot. Yeah, me too. Um, and, you know, my father used to be a dispensationalist. He, well, I, I, yeah, he was raised dispensationalist. He was raised to think that way. That He was raised to think that way. But I believe by the time he entered, possibly even college, he had rejected dispensationalism. Uh, it might have been by the time he got to seminary, but uh, yeah, he he no longer holds the dispensationalism, and we uh, we definitely are not amillennialists. I if you are, please let me know. Maybe if you if you're an amillennialist and you're listening to this, shoot us some questions. You can do so by writing us an email, radio at TorahResource.com. That's radio at TorahResource.com. You can follow me and Rob on Twitter. I'm at Caleb Hegg, two G's and Hegg. And Rob is at Rob Van Hoff, two F's in Van Hoff. If you are an amillennialist uh, and you want us to answer some questions that, you know, like, oh, well, what about this? Then shoot us an email because we'll talk about it next week on the Rob and Caleb show. That's going to be a really fun time. So I hope all of our listeners are looking forward to that. This show is going to be not as exciting, but it'll still be exciting. We hope. Uh, we're going to talk about several different things, several different things. But coming off of what we just talked about, the UMJA conference, I want to hear from you a little bit, Rob. What are you going to be? Uh, you're presenting how many papers? Two papers at the UMJA conference? 
two presentations. Yes. They're not technically papers. You, you've probably seen me talk enough, Caleb. You know I, I usually have a little basic outline, and then I talk too much. <laughs> I am laughing because right now I have undertaken the task of editing Rob Van Hoff's lecture from our last Torah Resource Institute uh, conference, our, our, our family camp that we had last year. Rob gave three different presentations on the book of Hebrews. And I'm laughing because... Uh, now, don't take this the wrong way, Rob, but you are by far the hardest person and labor-intensive person to edit audio with. When you say edit, that's because I say a lot of ahs and us. No, it's because you get so far off basic topic <laughs> 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 that I don't know what to keep in and what not to. Because you're, I mean, it, which is good. That's a good thing because you know you're, you're passionate about what you're talking I think I about. I need to learn to like give. I was talking to my wife about this the other day, like to give. A disclaimer before I speak. Say, okay, put the pencils down and just <laughs> we're, we're going to go for a ride. I'm not sure exactly where we're going to go, but we're going to try to come back here. We're going to try to touch on a few things on the journey and just grab what you can and let the rest go. Well, the funny thing, and, th and we'll have some time for Q and A. The funny <laughs> thing, the funny thing about this this lecture that I'm I'm editing right now that you did it, is it's supposed to be on the book of Hebrews, right? And so you start with this this Hebrews verse. And then you don't talk about Hebrews until 45 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, okay, you know, is he on? T it's hard to know if you're even on topic or not because you're kind of all over the place. But the nice thing about it is, is that at the very end, I just got done editing one of these. And this, hopefully this product will be up soon so everybody can, can hear Rob's lectures on the book of Hebrews. But the nice thing is, is that in the end, you tie it all nicely together into uh a you know what you know what the whole point uh was so it, it's good i'm i'm not trying to put you down in any way shape or form i just uh it, it's very fun to hear you to hear you speak because your mind races faster than your mouth does yes you know, I, I i take the long i take the long way around <laughs> so so what are now i'm looking at the umj conference uh notes right now and or not notes, but the handout that they like the flyer that they gave for the UMJ conference 2014, and it says up in the oh I see there it's not a it's not the topic. Uh, I thought this was the topic, but it's not. They have this uh, verse kind of bordering the whole flyer, and it, and it says Hebrews 12:2. That's what the verse is, but that's not what the topic is. The topic is keep your eyes on Yeshua. Is that right? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> and there's something special behind that is. Uh... One of the elders in the Spokane community, um, his name was uh, uh, Gary D'Angelo, but we called him Yaakov. Mm -hmm. um, he went to be with the Lord last spring. His his yard site will actually be in the middle of the conference. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, boy, what a, what a blessing! I had uh, the privilege to. Go through, go for walks with Gary, and to have lunch with Gary many, many times, and hear about uh, about his life. And he didn't, uh, if I might, I didn't think about this, but I'd like to just share a little bit about uh, Yaakov D'Angelo. He, um, he didn't come to the Lord, I think, until he was forty nine years old, mm. which is well older older than I am. And he uh, apparently it had had a lot of money in his, his young man ages, mm -hmm. in his, his time as a young man. And 
uh, you know, just went all all out with the whole riotous living. Um, but he shared about how, and I don't remember the exact circumstance. He was in Oregon and he um, was hiking or something, and he found a little chapel. There was a little chapel up in up in a mountain somewhere that was empty, and he went and sat there. And he would just he like sat in for several hours and then he wanted to go back again and so for a long period of time he would just go sit in this little chapel and he shared with me he said and and the lord was just talking to him and he had not even cracked open a bible Hmm. and he shared with me that he went to there were times where he thought well i need to go get a bible and he the lord actually like said no don't pick up a bible yet i want you to learn to just sit and be with me Hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, what a heart for the Lord, um, solid on the Torah. I mean, and, and to think that, uh, you know, I had the privilege of, you know, moving to Spokane and meeting him and, and being able to be part of his last, you know, three years on, on this planet was amazing. But anyway, back to the theme of the conference, keep yes. your eye on Yeshua. Yes. Gary would always send me texts and he would, he would whoever he would send a text to. He liked to text better probably than to talk on the phone sometimes. But he would finish the text with K, all four letters, all caps. Key or K Y E Y Y. Yeah, yeah. Keep or I or K E O Y maybe. Keep eyes on Yeshua. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that's what I mean. You know, there were many times where he had sent me a text and it, it would say key or K E O Y at the end, all in caps. And I, finally I asked him, I said, well, I don't know what this is. And he said, keep your eyes on Yeshua. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. So this, uh, one of the special things about this conference with that theme is that, uh, it is to remember our, our brother, uh, Yaakov and, uh, his favorite, uh, text, Mm-hmm. little uh, sign out and what he would that's what he was all about keep your eyes on Yeshua and he uh, spent time with uh, a young man in the lo- in the local community you know teaching them what that meant and so we're excited to to have many different presentations on that theme mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so what so what exactly are you going to talk about or do so you not for, know I've got two, uh, <laughs> one is one is going to be uh, on Thursday and one on Friday. Okay. That's the, kind of the way it's slated. On uh, my first one on Thursday is going to zoom in on John chapter 3. Ooh, okay. With Yeshua's conversation with Nicodemus. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Yeshua talks about, you know, he, he tells Nicodemus, you know, unless one is born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. and and then he says you know unless one is born of the of the water and spirit one can't enter the kingdom of heaven and nicodemus is like baffled by this and yeshua says if i'm telling you earthly things and you don't believe how are you going to believe if i tell you heavenly things yeah. and what i what i'm looking at is wow it seems does that mean that these things that he already mentioned are earthly things is being born from above an earthly thing and that Yeshua can't even get to the heavenly thing that he wants to talk about <laughs> because he doesn't even understand the earthly thing. Right. And then I, and then I look in, in, 
Hebrews in chapter six in the Epistle of Hebrews, it talks about we want to press on and tell you about uh, some important things, but it's hard for you to hear because we have to cover the elementary things again mm-hmm. of Messiah. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about milk and meat. And there's things like resurrection of the dead and uh, you know repentance from dead works, things like this, that are considered the earthly things. They're things you've got to get down. You know, these are not called... We might think, oh, being born again, that's a heavenly thing. I, I kind of want to explore John 3 from the perspective that Yeshua is saying, no, that's stuff that you should get earthly yeah that's earthly so is uh, so is this going to be your one lecture or are you wrapping this into two well that's going to be uh that's one but it's going to kind of tie over okay into uh well another aspect if i might about the john three is what is what does it mean when yeshua uh, talks about like the the serpent that moses just like moses lifted up the serpent so the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him will not perish right and that's uh uh, I get into the scenario from Numbers chapter 21, which in the the one-year Torah cycles coming up here in the next couple of weeks, Parshat Huchat. But in any case, the the idea was they were spurning the manna. They actually were basically uh, uh, spurning God's sovereignty and provision. Mm-hmm. Which is heavenly food. Yeah. So remember, it's, it's bread from heaven. Even in the Psalms, it says he fed them with the bread of angels, and they they reject they're rejecting it, and in their rejection of God's provision and His heavenly food, His heavenly provision, they are insisting on an earthly. They want to be back in Egypt. They feel like they they're just come out to die, and they might as well, you know, they'd rather be back in Egypt. In other words, they're, they're uh, rejecting God's heavenly gift to them. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm exploring the, uh, that story back in how it relates with, with John 3. That second uh, day, which is not the second day of the conf- conference, but the second day I'm presenting is on Friday, and that will be on the place of in, in kind of ancient Judaisms, plural. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not; it's not totally exhaustive, but it's how different Jewish groups uh, thought of the heavenly realms, Ooh, and fun. how there was a desire to for for man. You know, in some instances, it was this idea of a man could ascend. So I, I, I can I can only assume that you're going to bring uh, uh, the book of Enoch into it, along with. Uh, Paul and saying, I knew a man who went to the third heaven. Am I correct? Yeah, I think we'll probably talk about that a little bit. Um, and the and maybe even a little bit into later Jewish mysticism. Uh, yeah, because but, by the idea of be, man can like somehow ascend. Yeah, because by the time you get to third Enoch, right? Is it third Enoch? Where is it where, uh, where you have, what's his name going to, uh, you have rabbi, what's his name going, in, going yeah, to rabbi heaven? Ishmael, yeah, rabbi Ishmael. Rabbi Ishmael going into heaven. And then, and then, uh, that's where you start to see the formation of the idea of Metatron, right? Yeah. yeah en- this, Enoch exactly. into Metatron. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm going to just basically come down and, and reinforce the, the scriptural position that, you know, we're, you know, no one, just like, and it ties into John 3, no one, no one ascends 
except he who descended. Mm-hmm. So any efforts, so our, our heavenly identity as being in Messiah is based on his ascension and his his presence and intercession for us in the heavenly realm, presence at the right hand of the Father, and that you know we're st- we're still very much on earth. We're not uh, you know we're called to be here and not to try to escape, not to try to uh, to try you know religious rapture or whatever you know where we need to get out of this world because it's evil. That's not what we're we're called to. Yes, He's delivered us from the evil that's in the world, but we are to you know more or less occupy till He comes, right? Like He says in the parable. So. Um, I want to talk about, you know, what, what is it, how, how ancient Jews sometimes had their head in the clouds, how even, and that kind of influences the, the rabbinic tradition with the, with, with the rise of, you know, mystical Judaism and things like that, um, and how uh, that's really not for followers of Yeshua mm-hmm. to go down that road. Well, we, we, I mean, we could do a whole show just on... On mysticism, on Jewish mysticism, Christian mysticism, and um, you know some of the later rabbinical works and all that kind of stuff. Is it wrong to be you know? Is it wrong to be more mystical, quote unquote, mystical? Uh, you know, and there are people who, when you say he's a mystic, uh, he or she is a mystic, uh, that puts people in a different class altogether. And actually, one of the things that I'm reading right now, actually, I, I'm like five pages from being done with it, is this really short little book, uh, and this. Honestly, we could talk about this for the entire rest of the show, which we're not going to do. But I'm re- <laughs> I'm reading this little book, uh, which you had us read for the last. Uh, I'm supposed to be done with it. Actually, I was supposed to be done with it on Monday, but uh, I got like five five pages left, and it's on monasticism. And it's a very short little book. What, like fifty seven pages? And it's written by your your uh, college professor, your teacher, Martin Jaffe. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And basically, now, it's not really about mysticism. Uh, he talks about mysticism a little bit in the, in the beginning of the book. It's it's actually a very interesting book. It's, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, can, I can see a little bit of him shining through in you because, uh, and, and once again, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about your, your lectures, but uh, it, gets, it, it takes him a, a few pages to get going. But what, and you're kind of going, um, what in the world is he talking about? And then after you get through the first few pages, uh, and all of a sudden it just explodes into, into, uh, nonstop reading for 57, you know, for, for 50 more pages, you can't put the book down. Uh, it's, it's really good. And anyway, so he talks about, um, monasticism and he brings, he ties in a little bit of mysticism into the, into the idea of monasticism. But now correct me if I'm wrong on this, Rob, but what I've taken from the book is that he's saying, okay, you have Christianity and the rise of monasticism. And that is, if you don't know what monasticism is, it's like people who kind of hide themselves away. The monks, the, the Christian monks are monastic. They, they hide themselves away into these monasteries and they, and you know, they dedicate their lives to, to prayer and, and to singing hymns hymns and and uh you know they don't really well, and the, an idea there too is that there is a within a monastery there's a spiritual hierarchy a social hierarchy that the initiate uh kind of becomes shaped by they yeah. they actually uh commit to living by the rule of the monastery and are therefore shaped by the authority structure and the rules 
And it's in that context that we have what's called mysticism yeah, okay. arises. And, and so, in other words, we can't think of mysticism out as just like, oh, like today you think, oh, I'll go to Barnes & Noble and buy a couple books on, on spirituality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A, a Buddhist book, a Kabbalist book. A, no, it was a full-on lifestyle. Know, yeah, that's it, back, you know, the original, these texts that we consider these mysticism texts or whatever, are there's an, a, social, a social order and hierarchy and communal structure that is uh, framing the life of the person who we would call the mystic. And we see that in in uh, the, the Qumran sect, or, well, perhaps maybe we should say the Dead Sea Scroll sect, whatever, whoever wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's debated. I think it was the Qumran sect. Um, and then we also see that in, in early Judaism, before the time of Yeshua, and, and then through to after the time of Yeshua, uh, the I always forget the name of this monastic group in Egypt in Alexandria. What's the the, the therapeutic? The ther- therapeutic, yes. And there's little known about the therapeutic. But if I remember correctly, in a different class that I took from you, uh, you talked about them continuing to sacrifice even after the temple was destroyed. Is that correct? Well, okay. Uh, they it, it appears like they did not, but there was a temple built in Egypt. We don't know if there was a relationship between the therapeutic and. Um, the the Jewish temple in Egypt. Mm, okay, so so but, there is a difference there. So but. so Jaffe, what I took away from Jaffe's book, and and this is all going back to basically this is all stemming from you know the talk that that you're going to have at the UMJA conference about uh, you know can we ascend into heaven and these different realms of heaven and it, it, that kind of a mystical kind of thing. But what I took away from Jaffe's book, and I do recommend it for anybody. What's the exact title of the book, Rob? Well, I don't have it in front of yeah, me. Yeah, right I don't now. have it in front of me either. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get it. We'll we'll, <laughs> we'll get it. We'll, take my class. Yeah, take take the class. Anyway, so the the book uh, in, in the book, what I took away is that he's saying, okay, in the very beginning, uh, you know, not the very beginning, but back around the time of Yeshua, you had these groups that were monastic Jewish groups, and then. Uh, they kind of die out. You don't see "quote unquote" monastic Jewish groups after the time of you know, like the the 100. You don't see any of those groups anymore. Uh, what you see is you see the rise of Christian monasticism, and that happened right around 250, 300 is when you start to see these monastic right. groups come into into play. And actually, we learned about those in, in Ario Berkowitz's class on on uh, on Christianity. Um, but then. Jaffe kind of takes this view and he tries to set this view up that no that's not true. In fact, Jewish mystic or Jewish monasticism not only continued but is alive and well today. And we see that in essentially in orthodox Judaism and uh and Judaism as a whole because what what he uh tries to argue at least from what from what I took from the book. What he what he tries to argue is that the things that you would find within this quote-unquote hierarchy of monasticism, like Christian monasticism, is you have uh, uh, things like prayer, and you have things like uh, dietary restrictions, fastings, and all these kind of Basically, things. Basically, the halakha. Yeah, exactly. And what he says the, is— The halakhic commitment is a commitment to— Monasticism. To, mona- to a monastic order. So basically— That's, that's what Jaffe but, is—, is yeah, there. what what he's arguing is that that Jewish monasticism basically just took away the walls. In other words, it took away the monastery walls, and that it it spilled monasticism out into everyday Jewish life. So, if you are a observant Jew, uh, 
quote unquote un- observant Jew. And of course, Jaffe's going to think differently, I think, about those kind of terms than we would. But anyway, so if you're a quote unquote observant Jew, then in fact, what you are doing is you're partaking in Jewish monasticism. And you're doing that through the halakha, which is saying prayers before you eat and, uh, you know, saying prayers after you eat, and ke- keeping a strict kosher diet, uh, possibly even separating milk and meat, all these kind of things play into the idea of a Jewish monastic life. And in a sense, because obviously the text that the wider Jewish, uh, wider Judaism takes, i.e. the Talmud, the Mishnah, and whatnot, since you take all these as one corpus of, of uh, quote-unquote Torah, then essentially you're kind of also buying into Jewish mysticism in some sense. In some sense. Now, Jaffe's focus is, he does kind of extend it into the, uh, you know, our, our day, but he, uh, most of the focus is on the rise of rabbinic Judaism and the emergence of like the Mishnah, you know, and uh, the strict halakhic orders mm-hmm. where you have uh, social groups, he, he, he will call them discipleship circles. Very much like we would see in the, with the Gospels, you know, thinking about uh, understanding Yeshua as a rabbi with with his uh, circle of disciples that follow him and mimic him and learn from him all the time. And so even sh- the, shaped by him, so in the he, same way, the later rabbis are that type of tight knit group, and it's in that context that they have their order of, of how they eat, how they pray. All those things that they do are designed to reinforce their alliance with that that tight knit community. But that what Jaffe wants to say is wants to suggest is that the reason Jewish scholars for the last couple hundred years have said there is no monasticism in early rabbinic Judaism is because they were looking for, like you mentioned, walls. They were looking for they were looking for, for the monasteries, structures, for yeah. buildings with walls. And uh, castles, you know, things like you think with Christian monasticism. But Jaffe says that was the spin. The rabbi still maintained or, or still uh, used the same authority structures and rules. They just changed the walls to from physical walls to, to halakhic uh, rules that would govern a Jew's interaction uh, with the world in any 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 possible situation, the Jew would have a, a very specific border that would preserve who they are over against the situation they're in, mm-hmm. and that that is like a wall that moves around with them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, if you're wondering what is the specific topic today on the Robin Caleb Show, I think you've already figured out there is no specific topic. We're tying up loose ends. We're talking about things that we feel like talking about, and we're going to continue doing that. I have a couple. Of, I have a couple of things I want to talk about uh, that have been in the news recently, and then actually a, a piece that I found from 2000. I think it was 12 or 2013. I'm way behind the times in this, but maybe you guys have, had seen it when it came out. I'm going to tie that into something that just happened yesterday. We're going to do all that when we get back here at the Rob and Caleb show. (laughs) 
You're listening to The Rob and Caleb Show. That's right. You are listening to The Rob and Caleb Show. Welcome back. Um, so today we're just kind of talking about whatever we feel like talking about. There's no real specific topic. Uh, there is going to be, uh, I got a couple of things that, I mean, there's some stuff that I found that is just hilarious. Uh, wh- what we're really doing is we're, we're, uh, so excited about next week's program that we just couldn't focus on a specific topic. We just had so many things going on. So first what we're going to do is we're going to listen to a tech minute. If you're learning Hebrew or you want to learn to cant a specific portion of Torah, then Pocket Torah is for you. Pocket Torah comes in two versions, one for the entire one-year Torah cycle along with corresponding Haftorah portions, and a second version called Pocket Torah Trope, which helps you learn the cantillation pointing. Pocket Torah lets you navigate to any Torah portion and its corresponding Haftorah portion. You can then read the portion with the Masoretic vowel pointing, or you can click the Tikkun On button, which switches the text to look like it does in the Torah scroll. There is also a translation button that places an English translation at the bottom of each verse. One of the coolest features about Pocket Torah is that you can press the play button and listen to someone cant the entire portion. This makes this app perfect for anyone preparing for a bar or bat mitzvah. Pocket Torah Trope is a different app and is geared towards people that are a bit more advanced in wanting to learn how to cant directly from a pointed text. Pocket Torah used to only allow you to listen to one verse being canted at a time. It would stop after every verse, and you'd have to click the next verse for it to continue. However, they just released a new version for iOS that allows you to press a play button and listen to the entire passage. I don't believe this version has been released for Android quite yet, but keep your eyes open. This leaves Pocket Torah with one issue, size. For iOS, Pocket Torah takes up a whopping 405 megabytes. The Android version is much smaller as they have yet to release the new update, but 405 megabytes is a monster app and might make people think twice about downloading it. Pocket Torah can be found in the App Store by typing its name, Pocket Torah. It is available for iPhone and Android. It's totally free and takes 405 megabytes. Four out of five stars for Pocket Torah. Yeah, if you if you're you know. If you're thinking about doing a bar or bat mitzvah, you got a kid that's doing a bar or bat mitzvah. Download this app; it's worth the space. It's it's awesome. I, does I, it, Caleb? Does it have to stream the the audio from the internet, or is that all packed into the I'm, download? I'm pretty right? sure that it's all packed into the download, and that's why it's 405 megabytes. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, for okay. I could be wrong about that. I don't no, know. That, that that makes sense because you know the programming and text itself doesn't really take that much memory. So I guess that would be the audio files. I, that's what I would think. Yeah. It's it's really a cool app. And I should also say, I should have put this in the tag minute as well, but I, I should also say that it highlights each word that is being canted at the time. So you can follow along. That's cool. It is really cool. So... Uh, and I had I, I called Adam and uh, also Mark Randall, who does all of our web, web development and web stuff here at Torah Resource. I called them and asked them to download it for Android to, to check it out. So I know that it, they have it for Android, but Adam told me that it was only like 11 megabytes or something like that for Android. So that I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't think I, I think the new uh, the new update is is uh, quite a bit bigger. Anyway, so let's move on. <laughs> I got some stories for you. 
Okay, well, uh, the first one's not funny. It's actually quite sad. So uh, I don't know if anyone saw this. By the way, Rob's going into this totally blind. I haven't even shared it with him. This is how. This is. I mean, we're like the Conan O'Brien show. Everything's half. You know, it's all shoddy over here. Anyway, so I found this on the internet the other day. That and this has been kind of raging on the internet for the past couple of weeks. And that is the uh, the subject. I want to be now. I'm going to preface this. I want to be very careful for the for the younger ears that are listening. But uh, same sex couples have now been allowed to marry in any church that they want in the country of, of uh, Denmark. Um, and I'll just read a very little bit of this news snippet. It says the country's parliament voted through the new law on same sex marriage by a large majority, making it mandatory mandatory for all churches to conduct gay marriages. Now, the article goes on and says that if a priest or a clergy member has a problem uh, conducting a marriage ceremony for a gay couple, that uh, they don't have to do it. But that the church or the bishop you know, that presides over said church has to find a replacement to do it. And this way, the thought is, apparently in Denmark, that a a gay couple can now uh, they can attend any church they want, and they can get married in any church that they want. Now they might not get, be able to get married by the pastor that they want if the pastor has a problem with it, but they can get married in any church that they want. Um, I see this as a huge problem, not just for Denmark. I see this as a huge problem worldwide, essentially. And I see it as a huge problem for America. And the reason why is because America is not only moving that way, but I believe that the the, uh, gay activists are really going to start pushing, you know, now they have precedent. Granted, it's not in our country, but they have, the idea has been placed in the minds of the the gay activists here in America to look and say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, they did it in Denmark. This is how we should try to format our bill here in the United States. Uh, any thoughts on this before I move to the next article? Oh, it's just, uh, wow. I mean, I, at, at, at the very least in Denmark, it, it says, you know, the person, you know, the clergy with theological. Um, but don't you think that that's not, I mean, it's not far off and it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I they're they're going to switch that. In my mind, what's next is the next, the next step is if you're, if you're a clergy member by law, if a homosexual couple comes to you, you have to marry them. I, I, I see that. And, you know, we, we get the same thing. I'm going to tie these these two articles together because and they, they're going to sound in the beginning like they absolutely ha- have nothing to do with each other. But they but I think that they you're going to pull a Van Hoff. Then. That's I'm going to pull a Van Hoff. That's right. Actually, uh, Adam and I were talking. We think that uh, what should be called a Van Hoff is actually a mullet because of the pictures that have been okay, up. Okay, we can have <laughs> Anyway, now the the reason I find this to be so disturbing, you know, I I had somebody pose an argument to me, which is a very good argument, and the idea was uh, if a if there is such thing as a gay church uh, where homosexuals go to worship and they believe that they are honoring God and whatnot under religious freedom in the United States, they should have as a religion take the homosexuality out of it as a religion. They should have the right to get married as a religious group. That's a good argument. Um, and essentially, they're right. 
you know, according to the Constitution, I would say that, okay, yeah, good point. If religi- religious freedom says that you have a right to practice your religion, and if that, you know, allows homosexuals to get married, then, then so be it. However, now, now there's a big however on that. Uh, we are not bound, first and foremost, by the United States government. We're bound, first and foremost, by God's government and by God's law. Now, people are going to say things such as, well, then shouldn't you be sacrificing or shouldn't you be putting homosexuals to death and, and so on and so forth? Well, we don't live under that kind of, we are, we don't live under that kind of government right now. And so, um, what I would say is that we should continue to always, always vote and push according to God's laws. Whether or not the constitution plays into that or not, it doesn't matter. We should always vote and and be activists towards God's laws. And uh, we're not always going to be able to carry out God's laws, of course, because we don't live in that kind of government. Not even Israel lives in that kind of government. But there will be a day when our Messiah reigns on high. And when he does, then his law will be law worldwide, in my opinion. And when that happens, uh, then you know everything will be, will be put to right. Uh, but we should vote. And we should we should push and we should be activists for God's government now. And therefore, I have to obviously I think I, I think this goes without saying that I would have to uh, obviously vote against and and say that I'm against homosexual marriage, even if it's constitutionally correct. Uh, so the second story that I have, this one is a doozy. This one's hilarious to me. Uh, I found this through another podcast. I was listening to a, somebody else's podcast. A guy who apparently is syndicated, really funny, and uh, he's—I think he's younger than me. He looked like he was a kid. Um, but so this story came out 2013, June of 2000, so a year ago. So I'm late on the draw. You probably heard about this, and uh, if you did, I apologize. It just shows how far behind the times I actually am. Um, now, like I said, I'm going to try to tie these two these two stories together. But <laughs> this is the headline. This is the headline of the of the article. It says, "Man wears Nazi uniform to court in battle for son Adolf Hitler." What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so I'm going to read the be- <laughs> I'm going to read the beginning of this. Heath Campbell wanted to make a good impression on the family court judge. "Quote: I'm going to tell the judge I love my children. I want to be a father. Let me be it." Campbell told NBC on Monday before heading into court. "Let me prove to the world that I am a good father." In an arguably misguided effort to prove his case, Campbell showed up to court in full Nazi regalia. That's right, he is a uh, he's a neo-Nazi. He founded a group called Hitler's Order. It's a pro-Nazi organization, and um, <laughs> and this guy actually came in. A, they got a picture of it. It, it, it. I mean, no joke. The guy's wearing a full-on SS uniform with the Nazi, you know, the Nazi band on the arm and everything. Uh, Campbell started wearing the uniform because he is the founder of Hitler's Order, a pro-Nazi organization. He and his family drew national media attention back in 2008 when a, when a store refused to inscribe a cake with Happy Birthday, Adolf Hitler. Now, there's a reason that they wanted Adolf Hitler, Happy Birthday, Adolf Hitler, written on the birthday cake if if you're not if you don't find this at least i mean it's sad but if you don't find it humorous uh, i mean this guy's 
It's hard to believe. It's, it's, t- it's almost like a caricature. Like I could see someone like a Saturday Night Light. No, okay. In the in the picture now, th- this is th- you can find this if you go if you put into uh, man wears Nazi uniform. Google will suggest to you to in custody battle. Click on that. The first one is Time Magazine. Put, uh, did this article? There's a picture. This guy's walking out of the courtroom in his Nazi, you know, his Nazi uniform, and this lady next to him, who's not his wife, mind you, but his new girlfriend, uh, is walking out in apparently female SS uh, uniform as well. Okay, so now there's a reason he wanted Adolf, Happy Birthday, Adolf Hitler, written on the cake. Okay. Uh, and, and this was the story in 2008, unrelated. Now, Campbell is once again in the spotlight as he appeared in court in an effort to get visitation rights for his youngest son, two, two years old, named Heinrich Hans Campbell. And Heinrich, Heinrich Hans was, I believe, uh, Hitler's right-hand man. New Jersey child welfare uh, officials had already placed Heinrich Hans, older sibling, Adolf Hitler. That's right, this guy's firstborn son, who's seven years old, is named Adolf Hitler. And their, and their, oh man, this is so sad. And their six-year-old daughter, are you ready for this name? Are you ready for this? Joyce Lynn Aryan Nation Campbell. What? <laughs> oh my word. Oh Oh man. Okay, and five year old and five year old Hans Lynn Genie in foster care because of alleged violence in the family's home. So basically, this guy beats his kids, uh, and and that's why they they were they were taken away in the first place. He has uh, since divorced the the wife that bore his Aryan nation children, and uh, now he's fighting to get him back. And of course, this moron shows up in court. In family court, mind you, in family court, to uh, to try to get uh, visitation rights to his kids back. And, of course, he's claiming it's not because I beat my children. No, in fact, it's because I am a Nazi and they didn't want a Nazi to have custody of the children. So... Here is the question. This is the whole reason I bring this up. Yes, I find it humorous that this guy's such an idiot. I find it extremely sad that he, not only has he beat his children and gotten in, them into this predicament, but that he's breeding hate into his children as well as doing them the horrible disservice of naming them things like Adolf Hitler and Joyce Lynn Aryan Nation. Uh, the point is, is should people like this if we take away beating the beating of the children, if if there was no physical abuse at all, should uh, people like this get their kids taken away? And the reason I bring this up is because, and this is how I'm going to tie the two stories together. Look, the, what's happening in in America right now is that people who are standing up for God's law and saying things like uh, homosexual marriage is against God's law, we should not allow it. Uh, saying that homosexuality is a sin, we are being lumped in with people like neo Nazis. We're being, we're saying, we're, it's being said that we're spreading hate and that we are intolerant. And this is one reason I think that uh, we should, you know, we should not spread hate uh, towards homosexuals. You know, we 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 are all sinners. We all come from, uh, you know, a sinful past. We've all, by the grace of God 
come to know the Messiah, those of us who are believers. And so God can do a work in anybody. You know, if he saved me, he can save anybody kind of a, a mindset is, is kind of what I have. Uh, so I don't think that we should be hostile towards uh, people who are, are homosexuals. Uh, I, uh, but I do think that we should stand firm on the fact that, uh, you know, we, we stand by God's law. And God's law says, says one thing and society says another. We should not give in to society. Uh, but the point is, is that the the one thing that I see about this story about this guy, this idiot who uh, wore a Nazi uniform to try to get his his uh, kids back, you know, first of all, if there was persecution towards Jews right now in Tacoma, Washington, and for some reason uh, not having to do with child abuse, my kids got taken away from me. If I had a chance to get them back, and I knew that wearing a yarmulke at the courthouse was going to hinder that, that those chances, I'd take my yarmulke off. That's a that's a no brainer. So the idea that this guy wore a Nazi uniform in uh, to court is is uh, just ridiculous. But I guess the point is, uh, you know, should people like this who quote unquote are spreading hate and uh, you know who are bigots and all this kind of thing, all these kind of things, should they be discriminated against in terms of having their children? I think the answer to that has to be a resounding no. And I th- I think the reason why is because. It won't be long, and we are going to be uh, lumped into the same group as those people. People say, oh, you're spreading hate, you're teaching your children to hate people, all these kind of things, and uh, that we, sh- you know, and, and so I, I think that uh, we need to fight for freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and, and other things. Well, we had a similar, well, it's kind of a hybrid of those two situations. I think it was in Washington State, a, a professional cake... That was in Portland, uh, yeah. ...baker, yeah, yeah, or decorator, yeah, and he is a believer and he refused to bake a wedding cake for a homosexual couple That's yeah, right. yeah and he offered to make them any other type of uh dessert but he wasn't going to do a wedding cake and he's, they, he's out of business now because of that yeah they sued him well I don't, I, yeah i don't know all the details but the idea is they took great offense and then wanted to make an issue of it rather than going somewhere where someone would bake him a cake so the conflict is well the law you know the law for in order to do business in a state, you, you pretty much have to your doors are open, and you can't just you know I'll sell to you, but I'm not going to sell to you. You know that that's and so. But when the person's faith is is confronted like that, we have an issue. And then I could see the same thing. The baker is going to bake a birthday cake, and they say, "Oh yeah, by the way, we want you to decorate it and, and write uh, Happy Birthday Adolf Hitler." Happy baby, and let's say it's a Jewish baker or something. You know. Uh, what you know, we're, we have these really strange situations that arise because of our diversity, you know, in America. Well, the, I, I will say this: <laughs> the podcast that I was listening to that alerted me to this story about this this idiot who wore the SS uniform into court. Uh, one of his one of his co-hosts, or I'm not sure who it was, but one of his one of the other guys on the show said, "Well, I think the guy." Uh, I think the guy should have his children taken away for child abuse, even without physical violence, because he named his kid Adolf Hitler. That's child abuse in in and of itself. And it's kind of a good point. Can you imagine being on the playground and all of a sudden some mom says, hey, Adolf Hitler, come here. Uh, I don't know if I'd let my my child play with that that kid. I don't think I would. It's like he's using his children to push 
his agenda. His agenda Maybe, rather than genuine. Uh, but don't you think the same thing could be said for, for, for uh, I mean, even me. My child's name is Benjamin Tyndale. Benjamin, son of my right hand, is a very Jewish name, and Tyndale is a very Christian name. Uh, you know, he's named after William Tyndale, who who uh, translated the entire Bible into English for the first time. So, I mean, somebody, some, you know, a gay activist could say, "I'm doing the same thing. I'm I'm naming my child." But I I would say it's obviously not the same. Benjamin and Tyndale did not uh, create mass genocide on an entire race of people. Um, it, right. This, but these kind of stories are just outrageous to me. I, and the the problem is, is that I see I see what's going to happen. I I see our society pushing against religion and God's laws as a whole. I hope that you know a lot of people think that we're in the end times right now. I think we got a, I think we got a generation or two before our Messiah comes back. I hope not. I really hope not. But I I I, I think that that's the case. Uh, and I know everybody says I'm out to lunch on that, but what I do see happening is I see our, our society going down and down and downhill more and more and, and persecution against, uh, believers and those who stand for God's law. Uh, and so, you know, I guess the question is, is are we ready for persecution? If the answer is no, then, uh, you know, you need to reassess, um, I don't think anyone can really ever be ready for persecution, but uh, you know, I see it. I see some of it coming, and it scares me for sure. But uh, you know, I think that we as believers are going to have to. We need to be ready for that. We need to be ready to stand by by God and by what He says. Uh, so yeah, that's those were my two stories. I it might. I know that gets off from uh, from the Robin Caleb <laughs> the norm of the Robin Caleb show. We're off topic, I guess. But uh, I I found those interesting. Anything else to say about those, Reb? Yeah, that's just a sign of the times, really. You know, a sign of the times that we're in. And like you said, we we need to be in the Word, in fellowship, in prayer. Well, you know, living I'm, on our daily bread, and that it that we can't concern ourselves too much. I mean, we have, in America, we have, you know, our citizen responsibilities of voting, etc. But um, we also have the temptation to be complacent or to be lazy or to, you know, we're, we've coming off, you know, a relatively prosperous few generations before us, you know, and, and it, we're kind of sheltered from, where the rubber meets the road in a lot of these places with our faith. Well, one of the and, things, one of the things that I think, Rob, is you know, uh, one of the things that, that hit me the other day was, uh, you know, I've been I've been following this story about the the homosexual marriage in Denmark and whatnot, and I've been also following all the stories here in, in the U.S. because it's happening here in the U.S. You know, all, all the states are starting to, uh, you know, make it make federal law. Federal law has already changed. Now each state is is starting to accept homosexual marriage. One of the things that I thought was, uh, I actually what really spawned, what really got under my skin the other day was I got a email from YouTube, which is owned by Google now, and uh, there I don't know if any anyone knows this, but YouTube and Google, uh, Google in general is a very very pro homosexual organization. They are not silent about it, and they sent me this email, and it said something to the effect of, you know, sports, uh, sports is about is about sports. It's not about who, who people love. And then they, po- they then in the email, there were links to three different uh, videos, and these videos were homosexual athletes coming out of the closet. And to me, it just showed 
they were pushing a homosexual agenda, uh, and I don't think that that's what Google or YouTube should be doing. Uh, that's not the service that they're providing. And so I, for a split second, I thought to myself, you know, how should we try to boycott these companies, uh, this company Google and whatnot? And, and then all of a sudden, it kind of hit me once again. You know, it's not about hating people. It's not about... You know, we should not feel hostility towards the sinners who are who are advocating homosexual uh, homosexual lifestyle. What we should do is we should be uh, standing for what God says and what God wants us to do. There is going to be persecution because of that. But look at look at uh, who is it? Uh, Lot. Look at Lot. You know, uh, he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like he was the last stronghold in that whole city, and you didn't see him standing in the, you know, standing up in the uh, in the town square, telling everyone they were going to burn in hell. Uh, those guys with the signs. If you're one of them, uh, you know, I I applaud you, and I also wonder at how how that might be helping. But um, God can use anything. But the point, my point here is, is that within the United States, we are going to continue to see. These things, uh, you know, states accept homosexual marriage and, and people and society as a whole accept homosexual marriage. And I think that we need to be very careful not to spread a message of hate towards homosexuals or towards, uh, you know, people who are not believers in general. Uh, what we need to do is stand for God's law. Yeah, and it does seem to bring, you know, Christians that are maybe more mainstream um, when they start encountering this, they where do they go? They have to end up going back and reassessing their view on the Torah, the place of the Torah in the life of the believer. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, all right. Uh, I think that we're pretty much at the end of our time, but uh, we hope that you join us next week as we turn the Rob and Caleb show into the Rob, Caleb, Tim, Gary, and Ariel show. And uh, that's going to be a whole lot of fun. We're going to talk about eschatology. We're going to talk about... Uh, dispensationalism, we're going to talk about amillennialism and what we are I, I don't know if I'm making this word up, but millennialism, millennialists which I would hold to, I, I think if Yeah, this is going to be fun It's going to uh, be a great time I, I, I'm excited to see how you're logistically going to arrange all these microphones and everything <laughs> I don't know, but. Hey, and also uh, you know, if you would, if you're listening to this and uh, you listen to us on a regular basis or even if you don't, uh, keep us in your prayers please, uh, we're going to be traveling a lot this summer we're going to be traveling over Spokane to see Rob. And uh, beyond that, we are, Torah Resources as a whole is on the verge of trying to expand, but uh, the Lord has not uh, quite put us financially in that place. So we are we are praying that uh, the Lord will open the doors that need to be opened to be able to bring on more staff. So if you could keep us in your prayers, we'd appreciate that. So, uh, yeah. All right. Until next time, uh, you don't have to hate the person who is a sinner, but uh, you should stand by the law of our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah.